All right, well, who remembers the Hollies classic, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother? Come on. You're all old enough to remember it, admit it. Yeah, so uh, this song was written by Bob, uh, Bobby Scott and Bob Russell uh, while Russell was battling cancer, uh, actually, and, and he died only a few months after uh, the Hollies released this song uh, in 1969. Now, the song title itself has a very interesting history. Uh, there was a man named, named James Wells who was the pastor of the United Free Church in Scotland, and in 1884, he wrote a book called The Parables of Jesus. Uh, and in it, he tells the story of a little girl who is carrying her baby brother, who was almost her size. And someone asked her if she was tired, and the little girl answered, no, uh, he's not heavy, he's my brother. So that's where it began. And then Father Edward Flanagan, the founder of Boys Town Children's Home, he adapted these words into a slogan for the school uh, in 1918. He changed them to, he ain't heavy father, he's my brother. Uh, so that was the next usage of it. And then in 1938, uh, Spencer Tracy uh, played Father Flanagan uh, in a movie called Boys Town, uh, which also starred Mickey Rooney. But in the sequel to this movie in 1941 called The Men of Boys Town, uh, they used this slogan for the first time, he, he ain't heavy, father, he's my brother. So it entered into the popular culture uh, through this movie. And so Bobby Scott and, and uh, Russell, uh, they borrowed this title and then they turned it into one of the, the classic songs of the 1970s. Now, I wouldn't say that it's a Christian song necessarily, uh, but it certainly does have Christian themes uh, because the theme of helping others is most certainly a Christian theme. So the, the song is about helping others through the difficulties of life, and that's what Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 is about. So here's the first verse to the song. The, the road is long, sing it in your heads, I won't sing it out loud. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where, who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Well, Paul understood these same truths uh, when he was writing the book of Galatians some 2,000 years earlier. Uh, the road is long, and there are many winding turns on our path, and, and often we are loaded down with burdens like sin and guilt and shame and temptation and anger and frustration and depression and the like. And we, as Christian brothers and sisters, we need others to help us carry our load. We're not meant to go it alone uh, in our Christian walk. We're meant to help others, and we're meant to be helped by others. So in our passage today, as we dig into these uh, verses, verses 1 through 10, we'll see how Christians are to help other believers who have sinned. That's verse 1. And then we'll see how we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. That's verses 2 through 5. And then uh, verses 6 through 9, uh, help our teachers if they are in need. And then finally, verse 10 is just generally to all people, uh, be generous, be kind, help them, uh, help share their load. So uh, the first part, uh, model Christ's life to Christians who sin. Uh, brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. So remember, uh, Paul is writing to his beloved Galatians, uh, people that he believed were Christians, even though uh, the Judaizers had come in and, and done some damage, uh, helping them fall into the trap of legalism uh, through their false teaching. 
So in chapters 3 and 4, Paul sternly lectured them in places, uh, telling them, reminding them of how you are saved by faith, uh, by grace, and not through works. And then in chapters 5 and 6, I think Paul kind of assumes that his teaching has taken root and, and that uh, he's going to now apply this doctrine of justification to their lives. So as we saw last week in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Paul says, now don't, don't use this freedom to lapse back into the law. You're free from the law. Don't fall back into it again. And then in verses 13 to 16, uh, now that we're free from the law, now that doesn't mean we indulge the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. We don't walk by the flesh. Uh, and we, we uh, develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And as we come to chapter 6 now, Paul zeroes in, down, uh, drilling down into some real specific examples of what it means to walk by the Spirit. And so the first is modeling Christ to Christians who sin. So this word caught is an interesting word. It can mean to be surprised by or, or to be overtaken by or, or to be detected in sin. Uh, so there may not even necessarily be this premeditation of sin, but uh, that, that sin happens to you. Not, not that you're not responsible for it, but not that you set out on this long plan to engage in sin, uh, but we can still fall into sin. And we may wonder, like, how is it possible for Christians to fall into sin? Well, do we wonder? No, of course not. We are Christians. We still have a sin nature, even though we're Christians, and we can all fall into sin. So uh, Paul laid down a principle for us to live by here uh, if we see a brother or sister who is caught in sin, and that is simply restore such a one. Restore such a one. So this is pastoral care, right? This is what pastors do, but not only what pastors do, this is what all Christians do. This is what we're supposed to do. But before we talk about what that means and how we do it, let's just let Paul's war, uh, words here be a warning to us. Because being a Christian, as I said, doesn't mean we can't become enslaved to sin. It doesn't mean that we can't get caught in a sin, get, get uh, trapped in a sin. Uh, in fact, the more we live for Christ, the bigger the target will be on our backs for Satan. He would love to tear each and every one of us down because we profess the name of Christ. And there's no uh, better uh, notch on his belt than to, to take a Christian down, uh, one who openly professes Christ. So we have to live by the Spirit. If we neglect walking by the Spirit, we are making ourselves a bigger target for Satan. We'll be easy pickings for him. Uh, we're inviting him into our lives to wreak havoc and ruin our lives. Uh, so last week when we talked about the specific sins, uh, Paul mentioned the sexual sins. Those were the first sins that he mentioned. Uh, and those, that's because they often are the ones that do the most damage to our lives and to our witnesses, to our reputations, to our families, and to the name of Jesus. Uh, how many prominent Christians have been caught in sexual sin uh, to the disgrace of themselves, their church, their followers, and Jesus Christ. So uh, we, we have to remember that we are not immune. None of us are immune to this, and we have to guard our hearts. But what should we do? If we see a brother or sister caught in a sin, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So what does that mean, you who are spiritual? You know that Christians all have the Holy Spirit, right? That is a mark of being a Christian. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Uh, but we, so we all have the Spirit, but the question is, are we all being led by the Spirit? Are we all being led by the Spirit? Not all professing Christians are spiritual by this definition. Did you catch that? 
that not all Christians, not all professing Christians, are spiritual by this definition of being led by the Spirit. And that's why in chapter 5, Paul talked about developing the fruit of the Spirit. Before he talks about how now that we have the fruit of the Spirit, what do we do with it? So in chapter 5, when he's talking about you need to develop love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's for this specific purpose now that he is talking about, that we who are spiritual, because we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we are able uh, to restore such a one in a spirit, uh, spirit of gentleness. So those who are spiritual listen to the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. Others can see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're, we're kind and we're gentle and we're patient and, and we speak out of love and not judgment if we're doing what the Spirit would have us do. And so those who are led by the Spirit, those are the ones who are qualified to restore someone who is caught in sin. Now, that's a big difference between the legalists who, when they come onto a sin, they want to judge it, right? And they want to condemn, uh, and they know nothing about mercy. But, but those who are spiritual uh, are exactly the opposite. They show grace. Legalists point out sin so that they can feel better about themselves, right? They can look down on you and feel haughty themselves because of how, how wonderfully spiritually they are. Uh, but Christians... Uh, really go about correcting because uh, they love and because they have a desire uh, for restoration, uh, not, not to, to make themselves look better, to puff themselves up, to, to, but to make Jesus look better and to restore that person to fellowship. <clears throat> so Jesus is a perfect example of this, right? When he met the woman caught in adultery, uh, what happened? The Pharisees wanted to stone her, right? That was their first reaction. She broke the law, no mercy, stone her to death. That's what the Pharisees would have done. Jesus said, let those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone, right? That was his answer to them. So Jesus was the picture of gentleness and kindness and love, and he restored the woman with a word, now, this word restore in Greek is, is very interesting. It's the Greek word katerizo, and it was used for fishermen who would mend their nets, and it was used of physicians who would mend broken people's bones. So it means to put back together what is torn or what is broken, to restore it and to make it whole again. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. We are to restore uh, torn or broken people uh, by living the fruit of the Spirit and showing the fruit of the Spirit uh, in their lives to them. Now, there are times, of course, when the sin rises to a level where the church is, is damaged or is in danger of being damaged or individuals are being damaged. Uh, and when that happens, there is a process of restoration that Matthew 18 teaches about, this process of reconciliation, uh, where we go to that person, uh, confront them with their sin, and hopefully they will uh, admit and acknowledge their sin and turn and, and be repentant, uh, repentant and then be restored to fellowship in the church. Uh, so church discipline works to help the sinner, on the one hand, to restore them and also to protect the body while they're in this process of restoration so that the body doesn't get caught up in it. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do church discipline. And a good rule of thumb would be to restore the person caught in the sin the way you would want to be restored if it was you who were caught in the sin, uh, with, with the spirit of sensitivity, uh, not with arrogance or self-righteousness. That's the way we restore somebody. But this, this verse isn't limited to, to church discipline, to, to elders. Uh, it, it's, it's for anyone who is a Christian. Anyone who is spiritual is qualified and obligated, uh, as Paul says, to restore someone caught in a sin. 
Now, what that looks like uh, depends on the sin and your relationship to that person. Uh, it could be encouragement. It could be just pointing out what it is that they're doing wrong, showing them their sin if they're not aware of it, or if they are aware of it and they're broken by it, uh, to encourage them, to build them up, to, to lift their heads, to remind them that Christ has forgiven them and has died for that sin already, uh, and, and that he accepts them and loves them, uh, and now they need to repent and, and ask for forgiveness for it. Uh, so it'll look different in different situations. Uh, but what we need to understand is that, that if we're going to do this, it really helps to be in a relationship with the person where they trust us, where, where we have some kind of, of intimate relationship with them, where, where we have the right to speak into their lives. We don't typically give total strangers the right to come up to us and, and start speaking truth to us, right? They don't even know us. Uh, but that's why I'm talking about our small group ministry. That's why we were, we're promoting our small group ministry. This is what it's for. I mean, we learn about the Bible, we enjoy good times with each other, but we, we live lives together. We dive in deep together and talk about what's ailing us. Uh, so small groups, Christian fellowship, having an accountability partner, uh, all these things are so important. And, and that's why we want to develop these relationships that lead to the kind of trust where we're able uh, to speak to a Christian who has sinned or is sinning. But whether the sinner likes it or not, Paul places a duty, he places an obligation on us here uh, to uh, go and be spiritual, if we are spiritual, to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And the goal is always to restore and to rehabilitate, uh, not ever for revenge or for retribution. And then Paul warns us to be careful ourselves so we don't get drawn in. Now, he might mean drawn into that specific sin, whatever it is that, that they are dealing with. That's a possibility. Uh, but it also might mean that, that you don't get caught into the sin of arrogance uh, because you're not committing, committing that sin. Uh, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, uh, let the one who thinks he stands watch out so that he does not fall. So we can approach people uh, you know, with a haughty attitude, uh, being all arrogant about it, like how can you get caught in such a sin like that, right? Like, we have to realize that, that none of us is immune. So we don't go to them with a haughty attitude or chiding them with a list of rules and regulations and a, and a checklist of all the ways that they've failed. That's not how we do it. And act like this could never happen to us, right? This could happen to us. We're capable of almost any sin in the right circumstances. So we need to guard our hearts. We need to go to them with the right attitude and a spirit of gentleness. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to model Christ's life to people who sin. The next thing we need to do is to model Christ's life by bearing each other's burdens, verses 2 through 5. Uh, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting, but to himself alone and not to another, for each one will bear his own load. <clears throat> so the word burdens, as used here in verse 2, it means literally a heavy weight or a stone. Uh, figuratively, it, me it means a hardship or a difficulty that is too hard for one person to bear alone. Now, this verse assumes that we all have such burdens from time to time. Uh, years ago, when I had severe anxiety and depression, I had lots of Christian brothers and sisters who shared my burden, uh, who made it more easy for me to carry. And I can tell you honestly that I would not have made it if it was not for Molly and my friends who helped me through that really difficult time. Uh, so we need to be these kinds of people to each other. 
Uh, the second verse of He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, goes like this. So on we go. His welfare is my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. For I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Uh, I love the line, his welfare is of my concern. I remember when God asked Cain where Abel was. Uh, what, did Abel, uh, what did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Wrong answer, right? That was the wrong answer. We are all each other's keepers, right? We are all each other's keepers, and we are supposed to look out for each other, look after each other, be our brother's keepers. Uh, you've heard the phrase many times, uh, many hands makes light work. So the more you share your burden with someone else, the lighter that burden becomes. So uh, this all well and good, but, but there are two impediments, right, to bearing each other's burdens. And one is if you are the burden bearer. Uh, if you're the burden bearer, sometimes we may be too proud to admit that, that we have struggles, right? We want to project that everything is perfect in our lives and we are these super Christians and, and nothing can bother us because we know who owns us and we know where we're going and, and there are no troubles along the way, right? Uh, some Christians are like that. They, they put up this facade and they don't let you ever know that there is something wrong with them. And, and people who pretend like that are phony. Like we all know that everybody has troubles in their lives. Nobody gets through without some kind of difficulty. <clears throat> so it's better to share life's hardships with each other, with a brother or sister who you trust. Allow them to pray for you and let people know the real you, your struggles, your triumph, warts and alls, right? Warts and all. It's okay. Uh, none of us is perfect. So that's one problem, uh, trying to hide that we have struggles. The other problem is, is for the burden, uh, the, the people who we ought to share our burdens with. What if we can't find any, right? What if we can't find people who want to share our burdens? That would truly be tragic, right? Uh, and that falls on us as Christians to be people uh, who others will trust to share their burdens with. Uh, Christians should not have to look far uh, to find somebody whose burden, who they can share their burden with. So when we have a friend in need, uh, we have to be their encourager, the lifter of their heads to point them back to Christ. Sharing each other's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. And Jesus summed up the law. How? He said, love God, love others. This fulfills the law of Christ. These are the two greatest commandments. So uh, sharing each other's burdens accomplishes both of those goals. So we need to mourn each other's sin and help people when they're in sin uh, and not rejoice over them as if their failure somehow makes us superior. And that's what Paul meant uh, in verse 3 by, by not being conceited. Uh, it's often our pride that stops us from bearing each other's burdens. Uh, we need to have humble hearts, the, the humble hearts of people who know that it's not me this week, but, but maybe next week or, or maybe next month. Uh, I could be the one who's got a burden that's too great to bear, and I need somebody's help uh, to help me share this burden. And it's sad if we can't find people like that to share our burdens with. <clears throat> the bridge uh, to He Ain't Heavy goes like this. Uh, if I'm laden at all... I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. Now, 
this is the attitude we need to have, right? If, I, if I'm burdened by anything, I need to find somebody to share it with. And the burden I have remaining is that other people aren't willing to share that burden. I'm, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. That is the attitude of a true Christian brother or sister. We should be saddened. We should be heartsick by the burdens of others and e eager to help by bearing their burdens. In verses 4 and 5, uh, Paul talked about self-deception and arrogance. And the remedy to self-deception and arrogance is self-examination. Uh, the remedy is, is sober examination. And, and this helps us to avoid this deception that we sometimes trick ourselves with. So instead of rejoicing over somebody else's sin or comparing ourselves to the one with the burden as though that could never happen to us, uh, we should soberly examine ourselves. Do you remember the parable uh, in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? You have two different people here, complete different people. Uh, the Pharisee, uh, he compared himself to this lowly tax collector with pride and arrogance, and he thanked God that he was not like the swindlers and the, and the unjust and the adulterers, or even like this tax collector, this miserable tax collector. And he thanked God that he tithed on all he received, and, and he fasted twice a week, right? Uh, puffed up with himself. Uh, he, he thought his works justified him, but the tax collector, right, he wouldn't even look up to God. He, he, he humbled himself. He looked down. He cried out, have mercy on God, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. And he was the one who went home justified. The tax collector was a man of self-examination. He knew who he was. The Pharisee was full of self-deception, thinking he was something great when he wasn't. So we need to be people of self-examination. And that's exactly the kind of people who will avoid the pride that can stunt our spiritual growth. Verse 5 says that each person must carry his own load. Now that's interesting, that seems to contradict verse 2 uh, that says that we should bear each other's burdens. So we have to uh, do a little uh, word study here. Uh, there are two different words here used for uh, these, these, ver these words in verses 2 and verse 5. Uh, in verse 2, the word, for, uh, the word for burden is the word bare. And it means an oppressive weight uh, which someone must carry a long distance by themselves. Uh, but the word for load in verse 5 is a different Greek word. It's fortion, uh, and it's used to refer in places to a ship's cargo, like one person's cargo on a ship, or a soldier's knapsack, or a pilgrim's backpack, uh, something that one person could and should be able to carry uh, on their backs. And so the difference is that in verse 2, the load is too heavy to bear. We need somebody to share that load with us. Uh, but in verse 5, it's, the load is something that a person, each person, must bear. So commentator John Stott illustrated the difference between the two loads uh, in Galatians 6 like this. Here's what he said. <clears throat> so we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pack light enough for each man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So in verse 5, the load is the believer's responsibility to believe in Jesus for salvation and his accountability to God if he refuses to. So true believers, 
appreciate, they recognize their humble position before God, and they, they, they understand their absolute need for a Savior, and they will gratefully receive that salvation. And the only reason to boast is in the work of Christ done through us, not in anything that we have done. So this whole idea of bearing each other's burdens, this is what we need to do. Verses 2 through 5. Now, the next burden that Paul described is bearing uh, the burden of our teachers. So let's look at verses 6 through 9. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. Now, it's difficult for a pastor to preach verses like this and not make it sound like he's looking for a handout, right? Hard to do. Uh, I am amply supplied. I have everything I need, and I'm extremely grateful. Uh, If you own a condo in Bermuda, though, and you are not using it, Give me a call. I'll take it off your hands for a week. But Paul's principle here, as stated elsewhere, like uh, 1 Corinthians 9, is that they should share with their religious teachers uh, who perhaps didn't have enough to make it on their own. So as the teacher shares good things spiritually, the receiver of the good teaching should share their material goods back with the teacher. Now, this was revolutionary back in this time. And the reason is because uh, the Jews were taxed to support their teachers, their priests. Uh, They paid not one tithe, not two tithes, but three tithes. And that went to support the temple. It went to support their teachers uh, to uh, uphold the worship of God. So they would not have considered sharing their after-tax dollars with their priests, with their teachers, because they were already out of pocket uh, the tithes in order to do that. But the thing that Paul was trying to get them to wrap their minds around uh, that, that, that was revolutionary to them at their time is that they weren't paying their teacher. This isn't a payment. It's sharing. It's sharing what you have that, that uh, you aren't using uh, for the benefit of the teacher because he's sharing spiritual blessings with you. You share your material blessings with him. And this is the whole principle, as Paul is going to speak further about, of sowing and reaping. Uh, There is a principle of sowing and reaping. What you reap is what you sow. So God is not mocked means that this principle of sowing and reaping is unchangeable. Uh, The the phrase God is not mocked uh, means literally to turn up your nose in mockery and contempt. Now, uh, people do that, right? We, We know that. People sometimes... Uh, think that they are getting away with whatever it is they're doing because oftentimes God's judgment on people is not immediate, right? The, the, the reaping happens after the sowing. Uh, so people may pretend that God doesn't notice or care and they live as though uh, his judgment isn't coming. Uh, but there is a judgment coming. There is payday someday, as a famous preacher uh, used to preach. Uh, so sowing today uh, leads to a harvest Not today, but sometime down the road, in the future. And if we sow to the flesh, uh, in the future, uh, we will reap the consequences of sowing to the flesh. And sowing to the flesh means that we are living only to please ourselves uh, through sin and pleasure. And this kind of sowing is short-sighted. It only leads to the certainty of judgment and death and condemnation. 
we reap what we sow. A farmer who plants corn reaps corn. A farmer who plants potatoes reaps potatoes. Uh, we can't sow to the flesh and reap a harvest of eternal life. If we want to reap holiness, we must sow holiness. Uh, so reaping and sowing, uh, this principle is an immutable principle of God's economy. And this is the same concept that Jesus spoke about when he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourself uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves steal, but lay up treasures in yourself for heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not steal. So that's the idea, where we're always laying up treasure even though we may not be able to see it now. And that's one of the difficulties, isn't it? Uh, when, when, we, when we are trying to invest in heavenly things, uh, we often don't see the fruits of our labor. We often don't see the fruits of our investment. Uh, we, we, uh, any good farmer has to sow the seed. Uh, and then he has to be patient. He's got to tend the crops. He's got to pray for rain. And in due time, the harvest comes in. And that's why Paul encouraged them not to grow weary of, of doing good. Uh, we will reap in time. Paul planted and watered in these cities in Galatia, and a crop grew up, right? The, the, the Galatian churches were thriving. But then the Judaizers came in and they tried to destroy it. And so, so Paul wrote uh, harshly to the, to the uh, Galatians at some points and, and tenderly at others to show them that he was not growing weary with them. He was imploring them, please uh, listen to what I taught. Remember how you were saved. Uh, and so he was not growing weary with them. His, his patience and his persistence uh, will yield a good crop. Now with crops, uh, you know how long it is if you're a farmer from the time you plant until the time the, the uh, crop grows and, and you can reap that harvest. But with spiritual fruit, we may never see the harvest. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Do good, plant spiritual seeds, and in God's perfect timing, there will be a harvest, even if we never live to see it. And that's one of the reasons why here at Grace Redeemer, we support so many missionaries and have a thriving prison ministry. And it's because we trust the principle that God laid down of sowing and reaping. So if we sow good seed now, we will reap a harvest, even though it's unlikely in many cases that we'll ever know exactly what the harvest is that we reaped. We won't see it this side of eternity. But when we get to heaven, you know, how many people may come up to us and, and, and say thank you to us for whatever contribution it was that made toward their salvation? So this principle of sowing and reaping, Paul uh, talks about it with his teachers here, but it applies to anybody, as we'll see here in verse 10 as well where he says, model Christ's life to all people. So then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So to do good to all people, two things have to be present. First of all, our willingness. We have to be willing to help. And then secondly, we need an opportunity. We need an opportunity to help. Last week, I went to Costco, uh, and I was coming in off the highway, and on the, on the other side of the street, uh, on the grass, there was a family standing there, a mom and dad and a couple of kids, and obviously needed food or money or something. And I, as a habit, keep uh, boxes of, of uh, cereal bars in my car, and sometimes a little bit of cash, uh, just to hand to people who are standing on the side of the road who are looking for food. Uh, and and uh, so in this particular situation, there was a lot of traffic. I couldn't just stop my car and get out. I would have I caused an accident for sure. Uh, but I thought to myself, all right, I'm just going to catch them on the way out. I'll, I'll see them as I come out of the store. Uh, but what happened was that by the time I got out of Costco, they were gone. 
And I was really sad by that. Uh, and that's what this verse is about. While we have opportunity, let's do good. Maybe I could have stopped the car and you know, threw, the, threw the box out the window to him and he could have caught it or something like that. There was something, I, I, if I really wanted to do it, I could have done it. I just thought I would have opportunities, but I missed my opportunity because I waited. So uh, in the future, uh, I'm going to stop the car, and if I get in an accident, well, at least they had some food, right? So uh, it'll be okay. So we need to be generous while we can. And Paul says the priority is to give to believers first, but that does not excuse us of our responsibility to take care of unbelievers too. That's why we deliver food to the food bank. Who knows who's getting that food? Probably not believers, but it's through our kindness, uh, and it's, it's often through sharing of food, share, meeting people's felt needs, where the opportunity comes to actually share the gospel. So you, you give materially, so then you have the opportunity, the open door to give to them spiritually as well. So tying together all that Paul has said in Galatians already, the, the gospel is not by works. It's by grace. You can't be received any other way but by receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, and that by faith in him, we will be saved. And we don't have to maintain that salvation once we have it by doing good works. Uh, we get our sanctification the same way we get our salvation through the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the Holy Spirit is how sanctification happens. And our, our salvation should result in good works. It should produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These all should be growing in us uh, day by day. And if the fruit of the Spirit is producing in us, well, we will be able to restore others bear their burdens, and share our blessings with them, and sow spiritual seed to offer them the greatest gift of all, who is Jesus Christ. All right, let's close with some applications, some questions. Are you, are we spiritual? If the fruit of the Spirit is growing within you, then you are spiritual, and you are qualified to restore a brother or sister, and you are obligated to do so. Uh, so then the next question is, uh, how do you do it? Well, look around, look for opportunities, uh, be a friend to people, and uh, people will talk to you. If you are an open book to, to them, they will be an open book to you. Uh, so it, it helps to be vulnerable, uh, and it helps to, to show more of yourself, and that will invite them to show their, 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 themselves to you, and you'll be able to have an opportunity to help. Uh, secondly, uh, is there anyone whose burden you can share? Love is sacrificial, right? It takes a great deal of love. It takes a great deal of effort to immerse yourself in somebody else's life and share their burdens with them. And it requires a humble spirit of grace and service that Paul encouraged here. It's not legalistic blame that the law brings. And in fact, no one shared our burdens like Jesus, right? In fact, he didn't share them. He took them 100%. Uh, all the punishment we deserve for our sin. And if he could do that for us, we as believers must be willing to do that for another brother or sister in Christ who is in need. So is there anyone whose burden you can share? And third, are you sowing to reap a spiritual harvest? Two rules of sowing and reaping. One, we reap in a different season than we sow. 
So we plant and then the harvest comes later and it will come because God is faithful. And the second law is that we often reap more than we sow, right? A single apple seed produces the whole tree and all the apples on it. So be generous. You can't outgive God with your time, with your money, with your resources. Use them to sow a spiritual crop that will yield 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. The last verse of He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, goes like this. It's a long, long road from which there is no return. While we're on the way to there, why not share? And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I just love that. Uh, the load doesn't weigh us down at all. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ bears us up to these deeds of love and service. He lifts us up so that we can lift others up. And that's why the load doesn't weigh us down at all. It's his grace and it's his mercy that allows us to show grace and mercy to others. So let's just go out and do the same. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for these incredible principles of bearing each other's burdens, Lord. It is a long, long road with many a winding turn and the burdens are often too great for us to bear alone, Lord. I pray that we would be the kinds of Christians that Paul implores us to be in these verses, Lord, to, to be burden sharers uh, so that we can help brothers and sisters in need. And when we are brothers and sisters in need, that we would uh, be comfortable and confident sharing our burdens, knowing uh, that, Lord, you have forgiven it all. We just ask your grace in these things, Lord. And, and if we are in a position where uh, we need to be restored or if it, is, it falls on us to restore a brother or sister, <clears throat> Lord, I pray, pray that we would do that with mercy and grace, the same kind of mercy and grace that we would want for ourselves if we needed to be restored. Lord, help us apply these things to our lives. Lord, uh, help us imitate your son, Jesus Christ. No one could ever do it better. And Lord, we're just trying to be a shadow of what he was. Uh, please help us become more like him day by day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>